Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Pleased to be here in Phoenix and in the home of uh, Kolami and its rabbi, uh, and I thank him for hosting us uh, as well this evening. Um, when I first wrote on the subject, the Jewish community in the year 2050, the Forward magazine presented the article with the following uh, caption: Winmuller says that in 2050 there will be Jews on Mars. The reality, while that was a sort of designed statement to attract a readership, in reality the conversation was much deeper and much more engaging, I would hope, on the content of really what Jewish life will look like in uh, some 30 uh, or 25 years from now. In many ways, the Jewish community um, is a product of its history, and in order to understand what the future will be like, it may help us if for a few moments we step back and describe the storyline of how we evolved. So in doing so, I am struck by the fact that from roughly 1880 to 1980, the American Jewish community created, sustained, and grew a core set of institutions that really defined and shaped our sort of story, our generation's uh, core attributes and posture. For example, the wave of Russian and Eastern European Jews that came to this country from 1880 to 1920 would really be the basis for creating this extraordinary set of institutions that were really a collective of federation related organizations who would be designed to serve and meet the needs of the incoming communities to integrate them into the American experience. Jewish Family Services, Jewish Vocational Services, HIAS, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, and a host of other institutions that framed the uh, construct of a community of welcoming and engaging the literally thousands, truly millions of new immigrants arriving in the United States. Correspondingly, the second set of institutions would be those that were focused on Jewish religious life, Jewish culture, Jewish learning. And there, again, we would see the extraordinary achievement of the Jewish community in creating the synagogue denominational system, the Jewish cultural and arts programs, and the resources of our various ins institutions that constructed for us and built for us for the 20th century a frame of um, learning and education. These two systems would create the framework for the 100 years of the American Jewish uh, growth and development. And indeed, they were successful, extraordinarily successful in meeting the needs of acculturating an entire generation of Jews arriving in this country and building the infrastructure for that community to thrive and grow. In many ways, the reality of, of this experience is uh, designed to sort of understand that by 1980, the community had sort of reached a critical a point in its evolution. These institutions were designed to create and be responsive to crisis. They were the cri these, these were the crises, of course, of immigration and absorption, of dealing with the Shoah, of responding to anti-Semitism in the United States, and of constructing the opportunities to meet the needs of newly arriving communities such as Russian Jews, Ethiopian Jews, and Jews from Arab lands. So the reality was 
that as these crises began to be resolved, the question would be how would these institutions reinvent themselves to serve a different kind of learning, growth, and development for the American Jewish experience. So in the mid-1980s, we see a fundamental shift taking place in what has happened and what has happened to the American Jewish community. First of all, the greatest generation, those are the men and women of the Second World War, uh, in some cases our parents, sometimes maybe our grandparents, who constructed and contributed to these kinds of institutions were beginning to leave the scene. And this would represent the largest transfer of wealth in the history of the um, American Jewish experience. Literally from 1985 till 2005, we saw this vast transfer of resources. And the way we can measure that impact is what happened to those dollars. Because historically, the bulk of Jewish giving would be to the federated campaigns, to our synagogues, and to our legacy organizations, the institutions I just described. But what we were beginning to see in 1985 and moving forward was this extraordinary revolution in the shifting of those dollars to community foundations, to family foundations, and to the grandchildren and children of that legacy generation who began to create alternative directive giving. And that money began to show up in other ways. And where did we see it? From 1985 to 2005, we would see the largest growth of new Jewish institutions since the, the period of 1880 to 1920. We saw the expansion of groups that are probably part of your sort of vocabulary and lifestyle uh, uh, relationships. Mazon, the Jewish response to hunger, 1985. American Jewish World Service, 1985. The uh, Republican Jewish Coalition, 1985. But Literally 250 new institutions would be born bet between 1985 and 2005, and they would reflect these single-issue, high-profile, usually very um, senior leadership of extraordinary kinds of um, creative and thoughtful um, individuals and, and folks who had the vision to lead these institutions and to build these organizations uh, would uh, be the prominent figures associated with them. These organizations have become very much now a part of the American Jewish scene. They are usually based on the idea of meeting a very particular niche or need within the community. They tend to be focused on uh, particularizing the relationship of their members to that cause or issue, whether it's climate change or it's issues related to Israel or questions related to political advocacy or concerns related to hunger, homelessness, and uh, opportunities for Jewish learning. The interesting experience of that uh, cycle of 20 years of the evolution of new Jewish institutional life was that it would also be accompanied by a number of other transformational moments in the American Jewish scene. 1982 would mark the end of the war between Israel and Lebanon, the Peace for Galilee campaign. But unlike Israel's prior wars, the Peace for Galilee campaign drew huge criticisms among audiences both in Israel and in the United States over Israel's actions or inactions in various ways and created the first kind of serious backlash that we would see in the United States among American Jews in terms of how Israel was operating. But beyond the war itself, we would see the who is a Jew crisis of the mid-1980s, as well as the first intifada. And all of these three issues, all related to Israel, and all focused on a kind of critical reaction on the part of American Jews to what was happening in Israel, some dealing with Israeli policy with its neighbors, others dealing with Israeli responses to the whole question of the Jewish content and Jewish definitions of Israel, would uh, fundamentally change and erupt the relationship that had been uh, nurtured as part of the diaspora-Israel partnership. So that too would frame a kind of different behavior and reaction that not all American Jews and not all Israelis were abiding by some of the same uh, relationship associations with Israel 
that we had understood from its uh, initial birth and development. Another factor that's really striking in the period of the mid-1980s is the evolution of what we would call the creation of a Jewish community response to the role that American Jews would be playing with our neighbors. We would begin to see actually the closure of some of our CRCs and the um, creation of a different course of Jewish reaction to how the Jewish community would deal with issues relating to community relations, intergroup understanding, and so forth. Part of that was be, would be driven by the notions that by 1990, there was a belief that Israel was on the verge of creating, um, through the Oslo Accords, a new relationship with the Palestinians. That didn't happen. But in the process of ex the expectation that it would, the downsizing of our public policy and political arm of the Jewish community would be a profound statement and reaction to expectations that were undeliverable. What we have begun to see since the period of the transition from 1985 and moving forward is that we are really looking at, for the first time, a fundamentally different kind of generational shift in the American Jewish community. We are now looking at the fourth and fifth generations of being in this society as part of the American experience. And the fourth and fifth generational behavior patterns are fundamentally different from the first three cohort generations we would observe. So by the year 2000, we would begin to see the growth of the largest generation in history, the millennials. And the millennials would be articulating in their lifestyles and messages some fundamentally different stories about what it may mean to be Jewish, how that Jewishness would be conveyed, and ways in which they identified with or rejected affiliation, membership, and participation. Words such as membership, affiliation, and participation are profoundly weighted words for this generation. Because due systems, formal organizing, formal relationships are much less common and comfortable for a generation that saw itself as almost countercultural and therefore operating and functioning in a very different uh, arena. So the evolution of millennials and Generation Z, the generation that even follows millennials, is reflective of the fact that we began to take a look at the reality of the American Jewish community going through a huge shift in how it would have to appeal to, work with, and relate to a cohort of generations that did not necessarily believe in the loyalty and relationships patterns that their parents had embraced and adopted and that their grandparents had certainly uh, welcomed. So if generations was a major challenge to the Jewish community, then technology and knowledge systems would be a second. Because the extraordinary change in how news is delivered, how information is shared, how people acquire the the information of their lives has shifted radically in the past numbers of years. And that too has created a huge change in how people look at institutions and relate to institutions. The fastest growing part of American religion today are religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not the nuns of the Catholic Church. Religious nuns are people who are basically saying, I will have none of this. I am not affiliating. I am not participating. This is present in the Catholic Church, in Protestant America, and most certainly in Jewish America. The 2013 Pew study indicated that 23% of American Jews, mostly millennials, held to this view that they were really not identifying and not committed to the institutions of religious life in America. And that, too, reflects the changing modalities, not only of generations, but also of the idea of how people relate to the larger and broader society. But some of that was already reflected by Robert Putnam in his work in the late 1990s on bowling alone, where Putnam argued that Americans were shifting from being loyal, engaged members to institutions to a shifting away from 
deeply committed civic connections and ties. Putnam's work on bowling alone looked at both Jewish and non-Jewish institutions, looked at civic and educational and cultural organizations to frame his proposal that, in fact, Americans were disconnecting from a lot of the traditional systems of organizing and relationships. His second book, American Grace, was a response to his first, basically an argument of what we need to do to rebuild connections, and where he proposes that there may be the need for alternative ways of community building and of connectivity of people to people and relationships as being an important substance to how people understood ties that bind and the principles of connection. So over the course then of these many years, principally the last uh, 40, we have seen a huge transformation happening. The transformation of generations, the reality of the communications revolution, the changing patterns of affiliation and participation, and certainly the extensive involvement of the fact that people are questioning the kinds of relationships they will have, whether it's the religious nuns or others who express their, their views by simply uh, removing themselves from some of these kinds of institutions. But all of this has prompted a kind of counter-response, and that is the exciting part of this story. If we simply looked at the data that would suggest that there's a downsizing of giving, a pushback from membership, a pulling away from community, we would argue on the principle that this would be the beginning of the end of the American Jewish experience as we understood it. But I see something else happening. There are a number of factors that lead to the understanding that, in fact, the American Jewish experience is going through such a significant transition that part of it is driven by this flow of new dollars coming into the community and the opportunity to experiment with new means of community building and organizational development. So the 250 organizations and the growth of alternative ways of expressing oneself and the opportunities to really um, experience Judaism in new and different ways is really one of the exciting stories. So when the article on the Jewish community of the 2050 did come out, the focal, of, the focal point of that article was actually about the, create, the creative spirit and these dynamic leadership options that now were present on the table. That to simply see the transition as problematic was a faulty assumption, but to understand the possibilities expressed through all of these new choices was really the storyline of the 21st century. The other reality is uh, that America is changing, and that too is a profound story for the Jewish community. The America that we grew up in is clearly not going to be the America that our children and grandchildren will inherit. By the year 2043, this country will be a country where people of color will be the dominant membership or citizenry of this society. Islam will replace Judaism in the next 25 years as the third major religious community, Catholic, Protestant uh, being the first two. All of these changes and many more in terms of the growth of alternative religious models, the extraordinary developments of various Eastern religions, the presence of alternative forms of Christianity, um, continue to remind us that the marketplace is really uh, a very open agenda in terms of how people are looking at, examining, and participating in religious experimentation. And we have to see that as an opportunity as well as a challenge. The other reality of the new America is clearly that um, the politics of our society have clearly transitioned at a point where we are understanding the fact that there are deep divisions even internally in the Jewish community. And that requires itself a kind of issue that needs to be addressed. The point of how the society sees us and how we see ourselves um, raising interesting questions about the maturation, the development of the Jewish community to the point where today Jews feel comfortable enough to differ with one another as they differ with the broader society on questions of Israel or subjects of American politics or issues of religious um, considerations. And clearly there are threats 
many of which I spoke about earlier today that lie outside of the Jewish community that are challenging to the community. The issue are, that, that are amongst the most important is the question of Jewish whiteness. Are Jews white? And that, of course, is being challenged by the alt-right that suggests that Jews are imposters seeking to impose their political and uh, social ideas on the white Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, society and therefore ought to be pushed back because they are not part of the white establishment. And on the left, the corresponding push is that Jews are no longer part of the unoppressed and um, persecuted community and therefore have become themselves the oppressors by being so dominant and present in the white establishment. So in this context, for the first time in American history, Jews are feeling both from the left and the right at the same very moment challenges about their status and their role in the society. That is a fundamental shift that we have not seen uh, previously. The rise of anti-Semitism, the anti-Israelism that uh, we spoke about this afternoon were also and represent significant changes in the caliber of memory. Because memory is a powerful motif in the fact that as long as a generation or culture recalls its past and recalls the relationship of uh, events in the past that were traumatic and challenging to the society, um, then those memories become powerful forces to prevent the use of history to be imposed in negative ways. So now the Jews are, are seen by some as the new Nazis. Israel is described as oppressive and behaving um, like an um, authoritarian uh, power. So in many ways, uh, what is happening is not only are the structural changes occurring, but the ideas in the society are also fundamentally being um, challenged. What we are seeing in, in the American experience as well is an interesting reality that um, the histories that we brought to bear and that were part of our experiences are not that of our children and grandchildren. So when we speak about the memories of events, the birth of the state of Israel, the bringing to freedom of Soviet Jews, the ideas associated with memorializing the Shoah, these are ideas that are of our period of history, but not of our children and grandchildren's, and therefore are not in their mindset as relevant and significant to how they identify and participate as American Jews. So in looking ahead, what I think we are examining is a society going through huge transformations in its broadest context over religion and culture, over politics, and over uh, social construction. What we see happening is a challenge to the American Jewish community of potential threats uh, from outside, both left and right. But what we see internal to the community is an opportunity to really galvanize this moment to help organize and sustain and grow um, Jewish expression and participation. When a society creates uh, these kinds of pressures, minority communities tend to turn inward and tend to look at themselves in ways different than they have looked at before with the understanding that they have the opportunity to rebuild and construct ways in which uh, they can harness each other, protect one another, and build a sense of community amidst uh, any of the threats that are perceived externally. This is also an opportunity for people to go outside, to be involved, and to challenge voices that are problematic on the basis that the Jewish community is far more settled, established, and, uh, and certainly uh, recognized as an important part of the American uh, story. I see some extraordinary developments in three areas. Those areas include uh, these religious experimentations that we've spoken about, new forms of community, new opportunities to take old, older institutions and reinvent some of their models and promote uh, new ways of community building. I see it in the development of the Orthodox community in this country as dynamic and growing and an interesting case study of a part of our community that many in the 1950s and 60s had totally given up on 
and basically felt that orthodoxy in America would not survive, only to see its rebirth as significant and important and as essential for the Jewish community's future. I see it as well in the context that Jews are now living everywhere in the world. There are now Jewish communities in China and other parts of Asia. We see the rebirth of the largest Jewish community in Europe and Germany. We see the extraordinary developments of Jewish life in Eastern Europe, and we see it as well happening in various parts of Latin America. The opportunities, therefore, um, give us a, a sense of awe at the possibilities of, uh, of the Jewish community to really um, be able to operate in ways and in places that we had never expected to imagine the growth and dynamism of, of a community. And finally, I think we are looking at a community that also has moved in great measure to deal with issues that other cultures have yet to really tackle and respond to. The role of women in our culture and society and the role of women in the Jewish community, the place of people of color, the opportunity to welcome people with different sexual orientations, the capacity of a community to grapple with questions associated with uh, the tough issues of, of American society in ways where the Jewish community has opened its doors and created uh, venues by which there are um, new forms of participation on issues from immigration to homelessness to education and to, and to culture. In many ways, this is a very positive story, which is going to take a generation, in a sense, to prove out its capacity to, to really uh, come to fruition. The ability to grow the community in ways that will allow all of its different sectors to have uh, the opportunity to fully um, measure up to this, uh, to this development. The interesting thing here is that I, I write about multiple Jewish communities being created. I am not sure we are going to be able to sustain the sort of wholeness or the idea of the collective Jewish model. And I'm not particularly worried about that. I think there has been in Jewish history and there is opportunity in the contemporary community to certainly work through these dynamic sub-communities that will develop and that are necessary as the community goes through the transitions of who we are and what it may be to be an American in the 21st century. So the year 2050 may look to us to be far away, but in reality it is happening and continues to evolve in, in a period that has extraordinary opportunities for um, the Jewish uh, American uh, participation. I see it, first of all, in the context of the fact that our institutions are in many ways grappling with the, these very questions of what does participation mean? What are the ideas associated with community and relationship building and Jewish learning and living? I see it also in the context that the fastest part of the community's growth are in areas that are informal educationally driven. Camps, youth movements, and informal educational um, offerings that allow for people to do things in a kind of creative and um, style and, and attracting people that otherwise may be more uh, turned away and, and limited by the formalities of parts of, of Jewish connections and engagement. Finally, in the course of everything that is happening, uh, I believe that um, this is an extraordinary time for um, being alive and part of the um, American Jewish community. Indeed, our parents and grandparents may not recognize uh, what will be evolving and how American Jewish life will be unfolding, uh, but for our children, it may be a chance to expose them to some of the rich and valued ideas of what it may be and what it may mean to be Jewish in a time of disruptive life and uh, uncertain political uh, futures, but it's a time in which the vitality of Judaism ought to be a sustaining and essential quality. Thank you very much. So it's now your turn to, uh, to, to get into the act of building the, the future of the community.
Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. So, thank you, first yeah. of all. It's always a, always a pleasure to, to listen to you. So, my concern is, and you touched on this, the bifurcation between the progressive Jewish branches, uh, which are going more to the left, which are, have a different views about who is a Jew, uh, about ritual and mm-hmm. everything, and then we can call the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, Kabat Lubavitch, and so on, um, which are moving in the opposite direction, and both groups are growing to the, to the uh, detriment of those in the middle. Mm-hmm. Are we ever going to get to the point where we have a schism, as you do between the Protestants and the Catholics, mm-hmm. where the Orthodox Jews are considered to be one religion, and the progressive Jews mm-hmm. are considered to be another religion, perhaps with a different name, mm-hmm. and then they each, each go in their own direction mm-hmm. as opposed to one Jewish <coughs> My sense is that um, the, that kind of division or um, breakage is certainly very possible. Um, and in some measure, we already, as a community, are, are seeing the, the, the outpourings uh, of that. Um, I think it is um, certainly um, seen in the context of who is a Jew and how our two traditions or, or multiple traditions are, are challenged to, to reflect on, on that question in particular. Um, it, 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 as I suggested in the text, I am not certain that that's such a problem to the community, that in Jewish history we have seen divides and breakaways and, and separations in our story, in our past. Uh, it may take um, some of these forms again. Um, what is interesting to me is that there are opportunities for us on the progressive, uh, centrist part of the Jewish community to learn a great deal from um, those on the, on the Jewish right and in the religious um, sector, the, the orthodox religious world. Uh, my sense is that um, we, uh, we need to examine um, the robustness of their movements and of their activities uh, to um, maybe appreciate more their emphasis on family, their focus on Shabbat, their commitment to um, certain values of, of religious learning um, as important. I had an article that I wrote in 2012, um, 10 Reasons to Study Chabad. And I, I stated in that article that I thought there were some fascinating insights and learnings for the rest of us in terms of Chabad's organizing principles and the way in which Chabad has grown to become a particularly powerful uh, force in, in, in the international Jewish world. And um, I, I hold to some of those views. I also have written an article that has suggested that the liberal denominations of Judaism have to get past their capitalistic notions of competition and separatism and silo and, and, and silo of models of thinking, um, reminding ourselves that denominations were created in the 19th century in the framework of the Protestant idea of religious, religious practice and denominationalism. And the Jewish community simply adopted in that period of the post-Civil War era the same system of organizing. And I don't think that works in the 21st century. And I think there is much in common and much to be garnered by the fact that the liberal movements of American Judaism, reform, conservative, uh, renewal, and reconstructionism can actually um, share a great deal and and be strengthened by one another in ways that right now are, in a sense, bifurcated by the sheer structural systems that were created. So I may stand as a minority on that point of view, and I also understand the economies of mergers, which are very difficult and expensive, uh, but I also see the possibilities of what they can provide. And it is this idea of a liberal American Judaism that has the resources and the capacities 
of having these different streams of ideas and thinking um, shared amongst our, our varied constituencies. I think it actually would enhance uh, some of the, the strengths of, of liberal Judaism as a voice politically and as a, a movement um, in, in response to other groups in this country. Um, I want to, you alluded to, and I want to bring up uh, one of the things that's coming up not only in our community about Israel, but also in the evangelical world and the other major uh, mm -hmm. supporters of Israel, that nobody under the age of 45, yeah. um, uh, nobody over the age of, nobody under, under the age of 45, remember a time when Israel was not in the position of power. And so the narrative, whereas we're used to uh, Israel being the small, um, yeah. but now is now the strong person on the block, um, the evangelical church is finding a problem with their young people, don't now see Israel as the majority and not the, um, in the power, so they're losing their support. Yeah. We're seeing that in the, in the Jewish community as well. So I wanted you to look in your crystal ball uh, for 2050, where is the support for Israel going to be? Um, and, and you alluded to the 1982 struggle with the chastisement maybe or the rebuke. It's getting worse now. Do you think this is just around current politics or do you think this relationship is going to continue to, um, mm -hmm. you know, continue to break? Yeah. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think that the Israel story may depend on its leadership and the transitions that will eventually happen with Israeli leadership um, and whether or not a different set of religious, uh, sorry, of, of, of political elites in Israel will change some of the relationships and, and, and uh, the nature of, of how younger uh, Jews and younger Christians will look at the Israel Peace in, in the years ahead. Um, the other part to that is that um, we, we probably have to uh, realize that when we downsized some of the work we were doing in intergroup and community relations, uh, we may have seriously damaged our ability to be more proactive in some of these areas of education and intervention, working with African Americans with young, with young um, Christians, with young Jews, on, on experiencing and understanding the complexities of the Middle East and the difficulties of the Israel situation and its neighbors, uh, and to draw back into the, into the base of, of looking at the history of the Middle East and not simply at today's news. Um, and so there has been a, a huge, uh, I think, gap in the, in the political side of the Jewish advocacy movement in teaching about and working on behalf of building knowledge and, and understanding of the Israel story. The, the other piece to this will be um, that uh, I think um, that as younger Jews become more exposed to, um, to the Israel storyline of how Israel um, is um, operating in the world beyond the relationship to its Palestinian neighbors, but its work in Africa, its work um, in the Middle East with, uh, with all kinds of constituencies, to realize that Israel is in a, really an extraordinary uh, story of, uh, of human um, compassion and human um, intervention. And, and that story has, has to be sort of recreated, re, retold. Uh, and that I think we haven't done particularly well with that. But um, the, the, the reality of, of, of the Israel peace is likely that we will skip a generation that will be either hostile to, unhappy with, questioning, the Israel-American or Israel-Jewish diaspora partnership. And we are likely to see the swings of generations here, that a younger set, that is the children of our, of our grandchildren, may well be the, um, the folks who rediscover Israel. Much of what has happened, I think, in, in, in history of the Jewish people is that generations sometimes 
push away or pull back from some connection, only to find that a later generation embraces it. We see that actually in American politics, but we certainly might see that in the Israel story as well, which will be an interesting thing to study. Um, the, the political environment in this country is, is, is one that is a serious uh, matter. And, and part of the projection here is whether or not we, are, we have launched something that cannot be turned back, meaning that we've locked ourselves out of growing a, um, a more centrist role that Americans find common ground again, that, that people feel um, they can talk about subjects without um, walls coming up and, and anger uh, setting in. Uh, and I think that that is something that will happen as we see political change in this country, um, potentially um, new candidates for public office, a new generation of folks assuming uh, public roles who realize that the country itself is losing the, the, its, its way, its sort of sense of who we are as Americans and, have, and help bring back a more... Uh, uh, centrist notion of conversation. And once again, I think what we see right now is the progressives on the Democratic left and the uh, uh, voices on the Republican right um, moving the country uh, away from one another, you know, the divide. Uh, and, and, and always there is a counter element to that, and we're hopefully we'll likely see some efforts at, at bringing back this more centrist voice of mainstream Democrats and Republicans finding more common ground. And um, hopefully that, that will be sooner rather than later because without that, uh, the country and the welfare of all of our communities will be seriously challenged. Whew. Okay, well, we'll start in the back and then come forward. Yes. You mentioned right at the beginning of the talk that Islam is going to be the third Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the reality is that American Judaism is not growing substantially in the sense um, that there are new Jews coming into the society, other than by Jews by choice, or um, by non-Jews who have an affinity and uh, because of either marital or or friendship relationships or living relationships with Jews. But the demographics very much speak to the growth of, of Islam and um, in, in this country on the basis of larger families, of, of immigrant arrivals, and of, of, um, of just the uh, ability to, to, to expand their community. The Jewish community has been losing ground. You know, at one point um, in the 1950s, we were over 4.5% of the American population. We are today under 2%. And, um, Part of that is, is the you know, reshifting of, of who and what America is, is going to look like. And Islam is a part of that, that story. Yeah. Um, would you speak to the issue I was thinking while you were speaking um, um, as far as the development of kitchen minions, library yeah. minions, and sure. another way for Jews to come together mm -hmm. in a less organized and, mm -hmm. uh, and by the same token um, the philanthropy and Jewish organizations which were the mainstay of where mm -hmm. you gave your charitable dollars are now with Jewish Funders Network who are out there funding all new um, needed or not needed or sexy um, right. um, programs and um, the foundations that are funding them. And I know even Shmuley is out with, with the young people that are looking mm -hmm. to, you know, to get funding for them too. So in some ways, it's step forwards, but it's also step backs, because this is the way things developed years ago, how B'nai Brith started by a group of women. And so how does that all fit into mm -hmm. the... Well, you know, part of the new American Jewish expression or experience seems to be um, these... Uh, alternative forms of organizing, which actually, as you correctly point out, we have examples of them early on in the American experience when 
Uh, lots of the settlement houses and community building was done really from the bottom up. And most of the, what we are seeing now is, is similar. It's, it's not driven from top down. It is very much generated by community resources of family foundations and individual donors. And the critique on them, by the way, is that they pick the flavor of the month kind of thing, rather than uh, this being a systematic effort at funding and growing particular organizations, synagogues or institutions or new startups. Uh, they may this year and this month be interested in environment and Judaism and fund some projects or in interested in Jewish learning and fund some learning opportunities. But next month or a year from now, we'll be into the political funding frame or into something else. So that has become a very difficult thing to both study as well as to manage. And that is a major challenge in the Jewish community because where federations had a planned system of funding and prioritizing, uh, today the funders so outweigh the federation dollars, four to one, that is four dollars to every dollar federation is giving, is coming now from one or more of these foundations, families, or otherwise. And they are now the central address for giving. And they're, they're not motivated or organized around central planning, they're organized around individual passion. Exactly. So at some point, some of this will come back together. So you will see huge numbers of these enterprises. And we see them in the Bay Area. We see a lot of this in Seattle, in Boston, in New York, some in Chicago, and some in Los Angeles. We see less of it so far in smaller and other parts of the Jewish world because you need, you need a specific size of community to do some of these things. And you need the kinds of leaders and organizers and, and members to sustain them. But for every one of the initiatives like uh, what Shmuley is doing here, you have many that fail. I mean, I would say out of every five of these efforts, three out of the five will clearly not last more than... Of the organized of what he's doing or the specific funding efforts? No, what, what I mean... Those yes, of groups that are, I have a new idea kind of thing, begin that project may not be able to sustain it. And once the funder says, well, I've gotten you started, now you have to go on your own, uh, many of these groups dry up or, or simply disappear. Well, that's why the organized yeah. Is yeah. So the Jewish Funders Network is a kind of countercultural federation model, which is to say, let's bring some order and systematic approach to the funding processes we're part of but that's going to take a generation or more to really become much more systematized if in fact it ever does. So we're likely to see we're going to live through a period of this disruptive kind of bottom-up form of organizing. Very exciting stuff, some uh, less exciting, um, but plenty of it, and especially in our larger Jewish communities. And some of it will have the ripple effects of touching cities like Phoenix and Dallas and, and other communities. Um, the, the capacity to, um, to manage where donors give money is no longer a possibility. The donor now is the free will authority and control of his or his family's or her family's capacity to do as they so wish. But even with that said, 90% of all of the Jewish monies that are now available for charitable purposes are going to non-Jewish causes, 90%. And so that leaves really that small 10%, which is the experimental model. Now, Jim Joseph is, is the new big brother on the block, the largest of the funders. But, but others as well are, are important. Uh, and if they can eventually collectively think through some of these challenges of, of what needs to happen to sustain community, to grow uh, some sense of, of the communal system, uh, then we're likely to see uh, some, some return to normalcy or at least uh, consistency. Yeah, but a great question. Yes? It's sort of a tie into that yeah. actually, because you, you sort of express the opinion that you felt the communal, mm -hmm. the communal structure as it presently mm -hmm. exists is probably in peril over the long run. Mm -hmm. And I assume you were talking about the Federation movement as mm -hmm. constituent agencies. And, mm -hmm. and 
I suspect if you looked at the trends of giving in the last 20 or 25 years to that movement, mm -hmm. both in the terms of age and the numbers of yes. that's, that's particularly true. Uh, you also, I mean, what you did in response to Marsha, you indicated certain communities uh, mm -hmm. that, that are going in different directions in sense of organizations. But the dollars that are available um, are so, in, in some communities, are so disproportionate to the others. I mean, you mentioned San Francisco, mm -hmm. which not only has the Jim Joseph mm -hmm. Foundation has a billion three hundred thousand dollars in it, but their community foundation has two billion dollars mm -hmm. in it, and those monies are staying. I think maybe not his so much, but mm -hmm. the, but the, they're staying locally, and yes. other communities across the country don't have those resources. Yes. So I'm curious how you think the federation movement, as such, or that kind of mm -hmm. apparatus, is going to play out. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be community to community? Is there going to be an mm -hmm. ability of reallocating resources that are mm. centralized in certain places, in other places in the country? I mean, yeah. So the questioner is talking about um, the transitions of federations in, and the localisms that are associated with some of these um, uh, foundations and what is the impact of all of this. Um, Depending on the communities, correct, uh, some communities have huge resources. Interestingly enough, Cincinnati, which one doesn't think of as a major American Jewish community, has an extraordinary re resource base. Part of it because the Jewish hospital of Cincinnati was sold, and the benefits of that sale have left Cincinnati with a significant set of dollars for funding the, the Jewish communal needs of, of that community. And in other cities, you have similar kinds of of resources that are, are not often talked about or seen, but th that do exist. And this is not obviously true across the United States, but it varies. At the moment, the Federation world is, in, a, in my opinion, in a free flow, meaning you have different expectations, modeling, and practices underway in each of the major federations to sort of find their own voice and way in their respective communities. It is likely that as some of these models play out, the ones that are successful will be then adopted by the others. So Los Angeles is trying the notion of federation as a foundation, basically. So it's giving monies to startups and to special projects and to allocate to its traditional agencies, but around specific needs and priorities. Other federations in Boston and elsewhere are, are very much focused on Jewish learning and Jewish connectivity and are focused on, on partnerships with JCCs and, uh, and the colleges and universities of their community and, and using those as a way to build networks. Um, and Boston has done an incredible job with that model for both leadership development and Jewish learning. But it varies community to community. And, and what we have to sort of watch is how this incubator of choice, which is now present, will play out and whether or not there is any one or more of these models that will be usable and adaptable for, for the rest of the country. At the moment, I think that that's still an open question. But the extraordinary wealth that does still exist in the American Jewish community is, is really the storyline. And the question is how that wealth will, will be marshaled and managed as we move through this period of, of transition. And that, that will be the most interesting piece to it. I mean, in 1995, da Daniel Elazar wrote the last study on how the American Jewish community was organized in his book called Community and Polity, in which he described the system and in, in a beautifully constructed piece of work. We cannot, that's 1980, 1995, and here we are, you know, 20, almost 25 years later, Nothing has been written and nothing is yet able to be defining of what we're living through right now because that model that Elazar was writing about was at the end of the greatness of the period of the federated system as it was beginning to unwind and, and, and become altered. And uh, so how we construct a roadmap understanding the American Jewish community is going to be an extraordinary test for us over the next number of years because no one knows how you know, decisions will be made, what kinds of organizations will be um, sustainable, and what kinds of communities will, will, uh, will be able to flourish. And so it's a really uh, interesting moment in terms of the philanthropic agenda in particular. Yes? On the question of 
Who's a Jew? Yeah. Are there any, is there anything uh, percolating up mm-hmm. that's new, revolutionary, <laughs> uh, a, 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 an unusual approach to, uh, to uh, recognizing, inviting, or welcoming mm-hmm. people yeah. uh, into the community mm-hmm. um, that is different from the current mm-hmm. um, They're actually, yeah, the question, sorry. The question um, that was just asked having to do with uh, the who is a Jew issue and modeling of alternative and creative ways of, of dealing with this issue um, actually has some interesting responses. As part of these new initiatives, there are groups called Interfaith Family and a whole host of projects designed to educate and reach people who are seekers, who are simply wanting to learn about new religious opportunities and what does it mean to, to, to be part of a community of Jews, for example, and Judaism. So you have in different communities um, these kinds of initiatives being played out by these new groups that have come into being. Because you have so many young American Jews either marrying or living with non-Jews, the Pew study indicated that overall, the intermarriage rate in the United States, this is a 2013 study, was 71%. When you break that down, non-Orthodox marriages amongst Jews to non-Jews is in the 58, 59% framework. As a result, this is an extraordinary transition that we're seeing, that if you walk into some institutions of the Jewish community, you have many Jews by choice now as part of community. And you have many other people who are are defining themselves as part of that Jewish experience but have not formally converted but are comfortable because their partners are Jewish or because they are living in a household in which Judaism is either practiced or understood to be part of the life cycles of some members of that household. And so it creates this interesting challenge of how the Jewish community welcomes new voices and new participants. And this is, of course, a divide in the community because the uh, traditional community will say that this must be seen through the lens of religious law and practice, and liberal Jews are responding, but this also must be seen through the possibilities and opportunities we have of making our kids feel comfortable and their spouses and and offspring welcomed in in these new environments, in these new realities. So uh, it's a... um, Extraordinary question because this is, there's a lot happening on that front. And, and, and by that, it's everything from offering classes in, in, in communities to introduction to Judaism classes or creating uh, visits to Israel for, for families where you have non-Jewish or potentially incoming Jews to the community or um, other, other forms of, of being receptive and welcoming. Part of what is happening is just identifying rabbis who are at least willing to counsel and possibly marry uh, you know, in, in interfaith uh, marriage situation. So it's, it's a very broad topic with many uh, different sort of components to it, uh, but there's a lot happening on that front. In Los Angeles, this, one of the interesting pieces is the Sandra Kaplan Beit Din. Now, what is the Sandra Kaplan Beit Din? It was created in 2000. It was an effort to create a joint venture by reform, reconstructionist, conservative, and hopefully orthodox rabbis and community participation to develop a shared way of welcoming in new Jews. The orthodox community has not been a part of of, of the the, um, Sandra Kaplan initiative, but it has flourished with... Uh, they announced just this last week uh, uh, something on the order of 500 uh, and plus uh, um, conversions and weddings uh, in, in just uh, the past uh, number of years to sort of demonstrate that this, this initiative of shared, um, of shared learning and participation and collective work on this has, has had some impact. It seemed for me when I just noticed that my children and uh, 
their friends. We grew up in a very strong Jewish community, uh, yeah. number numbers wise. And it seems to me the issue of being welcoming uh, is a trickle mm-hmm. compared to the outpouring of kids just leaving mm-hmm. uh, the religion. Yeah. And, and you know, marrying out, marrying someone out of faith, and you know, just the dissipating of you mm-hmm. know, we're done. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're moving on, or we're, we're not either be not uh, having religion in the house or going with the wife or the husband <coughs> or the other religion. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I hate to be the one who looks at the glass half, half full or half empty, whatever. I just don't see mm-hmm. the future of this religion mm-hmm. going forward, especially with the <laughs> Orthodox being, they're just not part of the, they're, they're, they don't understand compromise. They're not willing to, to help all the rest of us. Well, um, uh, let me repeat the question or the comment. The issue of of the outflow of of young Jews leaving uh, American Judaism and not practicing or practicing other traditions uh, and the uh, impact of the divide between Orthodoxy and the rest of American Judaism. Um, The the key here is that actually of of, uh, the marriages and relationships taking place, um, uh, Judaism does reasonably better than Protestant and Catholic uh, faith communities in these marriages, that the Jewish practitioner in many cases, and I would say not all, but in many cases, um, has a much more deeply rooted tie to his or her community and to his or her faith tradition than the Protestant or Catholic mate. And that has reflected in the fact that we have actually a fairly um, good response in terms of the numbers of folks who are making any choices about religion. Judaism has a very good option uh, in in those settings. And that's reflected in a study on intermarriage done by uh, my colleague Bruce Phillips, whose whole field of study is really the um, exploration of what happens in an intermarried setting and and how well does the Jewish community fare in, in these settings? And um, overall, uh, th- that's actually kind of promising because in his work, for example, fourth generation uh, American Jews who have uh, and are marrying out still have an abiding affection and interest in, 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 in Judaism. And that tendency has led to, to some uh, kind of uh, sustained Jewish connection. Now, it may not be in the synagogue world. It, it may uh, take its form in, in some other types of, of expression, but it, it's certainly uh, a, a helpful insight into what, what is happening. Um, There's a whole lot of Protestants Yes, but the religious nuns... Everyone may lose. It really isn't a good thing. Absolutely. That, that we know for sure. But you'll remember that I spoke about the religious nuns. And the religious nuns are a phenomenon in Protestant and Catholic America as it is with Judaism. Um, but their numbers, that is, their losses are significantly higher than ours. And um, the reality is that um, Judaism has an attractiveness to, to some young families um, Maybe because there are expectations and there are ways of expressing and participating in Jewish life that that extend beyond simply religious or church-based behaviors. And so it's an interesting thing to follow. Um, Look, no one is happy with all of the outcomes here, but we have to sort of live with the realities of an open society in which young um, Jews have and are making choices and some of those choices have certainly led them to, to move away from uh, our faith community. Other questions that people are concerned about? I mean, uh, we could go all night because the, the, Jewish, um, the Jewish story is, is full of oives, but it's also, as I tried to suggest in the presentation, there, there is this, creative, this extraordinary creative spark that I sense happening as well in our community, and that I... I'm hopeful is the is the uh, is the bottom line. So whether or not there'll be Jews on Mars, that we'll have to wait and see. But at least it's a good story. Thank you.
Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.